0: When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Map Action show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet, it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us, as we began to navigate the waters, is the answer to every single one of these questions. Questions, excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100 free. Yeah, free, and it's ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcasts right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay. It's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just su- simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest in your podcast. You got to do it remote anchors, easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple, and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Yo, yo, this is Matt Baxter here on The Matt Baxter Show with another fantastic episode. I'm hanging out with Dwight Carlson. Dwight is the current CEO, founder, and chairman of Coherix, which is an awesome, amazing organization based in Ann Arbor that is in the process of basically Uh, 3D image scanning for manufacturing lines, but more importantly, Dwight has been in the entrepreneurship game for like 30 plus years. I think he even mentioned 40 plus years. I think he might have even mentioned a few more years than that. But anyways, he has just this amazing attitude, this energy for bringing, you know, what truly entrepreneurship is. He talks about his stresses, his successes. And for a guy like me, it just brings joy to my heart to know that there's people out there that have had plenty of sleepless nights, just like me, but have the absolute best time going through this whole concept of entrepreneurship. So Dwight, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Amazing everything that you guys are doing within the context of Coherix. And we just want to say thank you for being a guest. Well, Dwight, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. so, I, uh, I originally got the inter- uh, introduction because uh, my dad has obviously been following and loved the company of Coherix for quite some time. And so, you know, just had a chance to follow the company, you know, growing up. And it seems like you guys are doing some amazing things. But I know from a little bit of your background, this is definitely not your first venture.
1: That's correct. It's actually our third.
0: <laughs> so, if you're okay with it, I'd love to hear like the backstory. Where did the, the entrepreneurial background, where did this all come from?
1: Well, my first company, I started when I was 24, and I had just graduated from General Motors Institute and had written a thesis on vehicle emission testing. So I went down the basement with a couple other guys and uh, started developing a computer system uh, that enabled a uh, vehicle emission uh, test to be run. And uh, that was the beginning. You learn later in life that marketing is really matchmaking. And uh, you want to match the company's capability with the size of the market. And uh, it turns out it was a brilliant marketing decision to focus on vehicle emissions. Uh, And the decision was made by a marketing idiot. That was me. I didn't know marketing.
0: the guy but, the guy who's not afraid to start a, a vehicle emissions testing in his basement is maybe not as marketing-focused as you would think. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> though, that the, the whole market, you learn later, was about $8 million a year. So we were a small company, and uh, when we started, Beckman Instruments, which was a three $400 million company, already had 32 installations. But there was a situation where a large company didn't have a marketing sense. Why were they going after an $8 million uh, market? And so we proceeded over a few years to blow them completely out of the market. Uh, we're living large, driving uh, continentals, and uh, more money than brains, and young, and uh, we did a lot of a lot of very creative uh, things with that company. Uh, We, for instance, got uh, a couple Brunswick pinball machines over and pulled out all the mechanics and put in electronics and uh, invited all of our pinball friends to come in and play with it. And they all concluded that uh, taking the mechanics out of a pinball machine made no sense at all. And we concluded that there was no future in electronic games.
0: So is this just, this was just sort of tried and true testing with some friends and all of a sudden you decided, yep, there's nothing here? Yep,
1: that was, you know, we were already a successful, very small company, but like I said, we were doing really well. We had completely captured the emission test uh, market around the world uh and back when you used to get 350 yen per dollar now you get a hundred yen per dollar so this is a long long time ago. and uh so we were a successful look and we got involved in microcomputers very early in microcomputers we started looking for what would you do with these micro and the pinball machine I was one but we concluded there was no no future in uh, electronic games and then we uh, we sent one of the guys out to one of the partners out to uh, New Mexico there was a uh, a guy out there writing software for L pair microcomputers and you know we had done some pretty significant software in our lives but we had completely developed the vehicle emission test system in the Microcomputer hardware, so we had to decide whether we were going to be in the hardware business, microcomputers, or in the software business. So our guy went out there, met with this guy, came back and said, "We don't want to be in the software. There's just geeks. It's got, those guys in software are just geeks."
0: <laughs> you don't uh, want to hang out. You never want to be with the geeks, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, of course, you know who he met with out there in New Mexico, who was the geek writing that software. The guy's name was Bill Gates.
0: Of course, of course. And nobody wants to hang out with that guy. That's right,
1: exactly. So we decided we'd stay in the hardware uh, part of it, which was a relatively large mistake. Now, one of the successes that we did had is we were the first ones to pull the leader root mechanical you know die set gear aluminum gear uh set out of a gas pump and uh, we replaced that mechanical flow meter with a microcomputer and uh everyone said for sure that putting arky sparky electronics in a gas pump we would blow up the world but we did it anyway uh put a uh computer inside the station, the kiosk is it's called, and as soon as the person in the station could control what the person was doing at the pump, you self-serve gas stations. So we invented that up in Flint, Michigan.
0: And, no uh, way, I actually had no idea about that. So you were basically revolution, so I, I guess Take me one step back here. Did you, when you started messing around with this concept, did was that the intention of the impact of what that was going to be, or is this just we're farting around and see if this could be of help, and we'll see where it goes? I mean, did you really know what you were trying to do with this?
1: Yeah, we we did, and we were working closely with the president of uh, of Bennett Pump in Muskegon, a big gas pump maker, and so uh, the president was a Harvard grad, and he. Heard our spiel and said, "Hey, if you could make this work, that'd be a wonderful thing." And sure enough, we made it work. Sold well over a hundred thousand of these computer modules that went into gas pumps, and uh, that was a big success. Uh, the we also um, had put the, so we were doing all this microcomputer stuff. So we put together a nice console. We designed a keyboard put a four inch by four inch CRT tube in it, beautiful box. Uh put it on the back cover of Inc. magazine, which was a very popular computer magazine back then. And uh we had the the you know a personal computer three years before Apple started. Uh and we had worked with computers when we worked at buick while we were in school and the last thing you would do is bring a computer home with you and when somebody said you know someday we may have computers in our home we about puked there's no way you'd bring a computer home with you it's just like
0: teachers teachers uh in my when I was in school, would say, you're never going to have a calculator in your, in your pocket, so you should learn how to do long division. Well, sure enough, we do today. <laughs> and we had side rules. Yeah, so, exactly. So what
1: would be your uh, feeling about Flint, Michigan, where we were when we did all this, if Microsoft was in Flint, if Apple was in Flint, and Nintendo? all three of those were in Flint, Michigan. What would be, what would Flint, Michigan be like today?
0: A little different if I had to guess. Probably could drink, <laughs> probably could drink the water. Exactly. It might be uh, the Silicon Valley of Michigan.
1: Exactly. So we were, uh very advanced in technology, but didn't know squat about marketing. So that was our first company. Uh, then, uh, the second company, uh, was Perceptron. And a big reason for starting Perceptron is that I had, I purchased at Zycom, our first company, we purchased the first Hewlett Packard mini computer in the Midwest. And I went out to, uh, Hewlett Packard out in Palo Alto, California. And uh when I got there, uh pal uh Hewlett Packard was already 30 years old. So Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard had figured it all out of how to do an innovative high-tech company so forth in building the culture. So I saw it, I felt it, I came back, had the the business philosophy, had the book, the HP Way. And it only took me 13 years to figure out how to implement it.
0: So once hey. I- <laughs> Move at your own pace, right? <laughs> no need to rush.
1: <laughs> <laughs> once I figured it out, that's when I started Perceptron. And uh, we were zealots. We had raised $2 million of venture capital, which back then was a lot of money. And uh, we all we knew was we were going to do something with cameras and computers and uh, we we spent the first year looking for what was a scalable application that we could grow up you know fairly large company and after a year we decided that we would uh, go after uh, the dimensional control of an, of the manufacturing process of building auto bodies and uh, during that time we had pizza and beer every night going over the Hewlett Packard book and the Hewlett Packard business philosophy over and over and over again and uh, <clears throat> we hire one person go over it, hire another person and uh, we even purchased the Hewlett Packard building in Farmington Hills because they had moved to a bigger facility down the road it was four times the building was four times what we needed but I wanted a building that built Hewlett and Dave Packard were actually in. And uh, we were such zealous that people from Hewlett-Packard would visit the building, we'd talk to them, and they'd say, Dwight, Perceptron is more like Hewlett-Packard than Hewlett-Packard. So we...
0: Uh, not a bad... Not for a guy for a guy who's following in Hewlett-Packard's footsteps, not a bad compliment to get.
1: <laughs> right. And they they were really... Great. And, you know, all of the high-tech companies in California are derivatives. They come off of that Hewlett-Packard model. So uh, Perceptron was very successful. We changed how auto bodies are built all over the world. We took the company public at $6 a share. In a few years, the stock increased to $36 a share. We split the stock, and the shares went back up to $39 a share. So the investors made a lot of money. Uh, We made several millionaires of the people that worked there, uh, kept giving them stock options. And when it was at 39, there were several of those people who were millionaires. So that was a good run uh, and uh, learned a lot. Uh, And uh, when we started Coheric. Uh, in 2003, uh, we had pretty well figured out what this was all about. Uh, the first two companies were right out of the book venture capital backed. But We realized that uh, creating innovative manufacturing technology companies like we do uh, and a 10-year venture capital limited partnership, that wasn't a good match. So this time we uh, financed the company with individuals.
0: Do I? do you mind if I ask why that just from a high level, why that you didn't feel like that match made sense?
1: Well, when you first go out and raise venture capital, you talk to a number of venture capitalists and, you know, it kind of clicks. You find guys that you really like. They really like you. You put maybe three or four of them together to fund the company. They all have a right to a board seat. And you end up with the dream board. I mean, really good people. And what happens to really good people, in a few years, they leave and form their own venture capital fund. But the rights to the board seat do not pass to the investor who's left the fund. So now, in that fund that did the original investment, They have to find another board member. Ah. (laughs) It's a no win, it's a no win situation. If the new person comes on board and it goes well, then the previous guy who put it on the books gets all the credit. That was a great investment. If for some reason it doesn't go well, well the the new guy screwed it up. So it's a it's a no-win situation. I'm convinced when Jim Swartz, the founder of Accel Capital, uh, who was chairman for 10 years of Perceptron, uh, when he left Adler, uh, who made the original investor, Adler Partners, uh, if the janitor had been uh, walking down the hall when the partners were deciding who was going to serve on the Perceptron board. In the middle of a sto- snowstorm out here in Michigan uh he would have got the job
0: i so, can I can see how some of the relationships and the dynamics get a little sour in a hurry <laughs> the
1: second you know the second person that you have on your board from a venture fund and not good, and so you get into a situation where the board is not. Not what you thought it would be, not what it was originally. So I decided, nah, not going to do that again. So we raised about 30 to 40 million from uh, accredited invest- in individuals. And they have been fantastic. Just
0: a You're, group you're talking about with, uh, with Coherix now, The the next. But
1: that's Coherix. That's correct. Yep. Started Coheric's in 2003, started bringing on investors in 2004. We have right now we have about 180 accredited investors, all accredited. That means they have to have a net worth of a million dollars someplace in the world. So it's been, uh, you know, you'd think this being the third company, it would be getting easier. Well, it's not. It's all about <laughs> the globalization. Globalization much more challenging. First company I didn't have to think about going outside the United States. With Zycom the whole market was here. Foreigners would have to leave their families, come to the United States, try to sell their products and they couldn't even speak the language. What a terrible disadvantage. Today I get on an airplane, all the Americans are going to Asia, we're trying to sell our products and we can't even speak the language. What a tremendous competitive disadvantage for the Americans. That's happened in my lifetime. So, yeah. this, we are in the innovative manufacturing technology business. We're here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We spend tons of money developing really hot products, and we manufacture them right here in Ann Arbor. We put them in nice little boxes, and 75% go to Asia. What's wrong with that picture? <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's uh, an interesting sort of reverse of what people actually think.
1: (laughs) Right, right. You know, the United States is the most innovative place on the planet. And the reason is our consequences of failure are so low. In Japan, you start a company and you fail, you're done for life. Europe, I mean, most places in the world, if you fail at something, you pay the consequence. Here in America, you start a company and fail. Great. You got more experience. Start another one and fail. Ooh, you got even more experience. Start three of them and fail even more experience.
0: I can't tell you the number of times that I've been sitting across from an investor And they said, Matt, I really want to invest in this company, but I can't wait to invest in your next company no matter what happens with this one. And I'm thinking, what?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You know, we have never admitted failure. Our first company, the first five or seven years, every payroll was an exciting event. Yep. (laughs) I'd I'd have made more money working at McDonald's but we we weren't a failure.
0: <laughs>
1: we were just a, a slow success. Of course. <laughs> but you learn a lot more by having those real rough times uh, than you do in in the good times.
0: Absolutely. And that's that was going to be one question uh, that I wanted to ask you is okay, so you're literally talking to and I think the you know in in the audience there's a few of these people as well too, but as a sort of young startup founder myself uh what's what what uh what advice do you have what do you wish you would have known or what do you what are you thankful you know now that you're glad that you didn't know or i guess what what's can you speak into uh talking to a younger entrepreneur
1: well uh first you don't know what you don't know until you start a business there's no way you're going to learn this in school you have to do it you can't learn how to, you know, you can't ride a bicycle by reading a book. And it's a lot of similarities to business. And uh, I think what a young entrepreneur needs to get their head screwed on right, if you're doing this to make a lot of money, you probably should do something else. The, what drives entrepreneurs is a desire to change the world want to change a little piece of the world. Uh, today at Coherix, we want to change on how things are glued together. <laughs> you know, cars, planes, everything is being glued today, and it's a process, and it's a damn difficult process. So we are working our butts off to implement process control of the dispensing process and it's a huge market opportunity. And we are way ahead in product, and way ahead in positioning, way ahead in major customers. So it's a matter of changing the world. The other thing that you have to do is think about it as a sport. You gotta love the battle, you gotta love the competition. It's not about winning, it's how you play the game. The other thing is you, you better be pretty darn good at uh, solving puzzles. If you like solving puzzles, it helps. If, if you're an entrepreneur and you just have a, a very interest, interesting, like somebody gives you a jigsaw puzzle, you love it. The other thing is you got to love treasure hunting. You know, where's the treasure? For Coheric's, is the treasure in semiconductor? is it electronics, in automotive? You know, gluing is done all over the place. And, you know, just the fact that we picked gluing uh, is a, you know, that, that, that's a treasure, right? you try to figure out where's the treasure. And it's definitely a team sport, especially when you're high tech, you're competing against some very, Good teams. So I think it's all a matter of how you think. You got to enjoy it. There's no question. If you don't enjoy being an entrepreneur, it will kill you for sure. You might enjoy it and it'll kill you anyway. It's just a the,
0: <laughs> I read I read a quote I read a quote uh, last week that said, Yeah, as an entrepreneur I sleep I sleep like a baby every night. I sleep two hours and I wake up and I cry and I go back to sleep and I wake <laughs> up and <I> cry again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, that's one of the things as an entrepreneur. I think you just end up training your brain that while you're sleeping you're, you're going through different alternatives of how to solve a problem. Many times I'll wake up at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I will have the answer. You know, you don't want to turn that light on and start writing, but if you don't, you'll, it'll, a lot of times it'll go away.
0: <laughs> it's so tr- the amount of, the amount of problems I've solved in the middle of the night that I forgot when I woke up in the morning, is, <laughs> I've probably, solved I've solved all the world problems all the time over.
1: You <laughs> have to turn that light on and start writing. And uh, but that's just I mean, I think you just your brain gets because there's so many puzzles you're trying to solve because they're all multi-dimensional tough puzzles and you're working them all the time and so I, I think you know anyone uh, who wants to be a, an entrepreneur really has to think through it uh, you know in, in all three companies I've told uh, all the people anyone wants to be an entrepreneur that's great come to me and I help you start a business and so far Three people, thousands of people. Three have actually taken me on it, <clears throat> and uh, at Perceptron, two, two of them. Uh, we cleaned out a room, put their name on the door, and we launched them right out of Perceptron.
0: Love that. That's amazing. So, hey, yeah. if you're if you're if you're helping entrepreneurs and you're batting sixty six percent, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> You're, kind of, oh, man, if you're that high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need some VC dollars to bet on those <laughs> on that. That's awesome. <laughs> right. Well, my, my, uh, my absolute favorite question in the world to ask, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd love to kind of directly ask it is ultimately at the end of the day, Dwight, what, what is it that sort of gets you out of bed in the morning the most? And maybe not at two in the morning, but maybe at five or six when you wake up. But what is it that sort of drives you to be doing what you're doing?
1: You know, I've been doing this. Exact same job, three companies since I was 24. Three different companies, but it's, it's for the most part the same job. And it's damn exciting. I know every day that I wake up, I have the really difficult challenges. And it's the full range of challenges, raising money challenges, management challenges, dealing with investors challenges dealing with boards, uh, so it's every day. Every day I absolutely know when I get up, I'm certainly not going to be bored. <laughs> but that's what gets you up in the morning. It's very, very, you know, uh, the adrenaline is pumping all the time. People say I'm an adrenaline, adrenaline addict. A lot of people, a lot of people, like, how can you handle all the pressure? And I say, if you took the pressure, I would probably explode. Yeah. It's what's holding me together.
0: (laughs) It's the addicting part. (laughs) That's right. That's amazing.
1: It's exciting.
0: That's awesome. Well, Dwight, I would just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. This has been awesome. Is there any any closing thoughts or last words you want to leave with the audience?
1: No, I help a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, I usually have breakfast is the best time for me to help, but uh, I enjoy it. And you want to share, you want to give back to other people. So if somebody wants to give you a call, I Set up breakfast, we can do it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. And I'll make sure to include links to Coherix as well, so people can find the company as well. But thank you so much for being a guest. Oh, you're welcome. Awesome. Bye-bye.